Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, as we begin our sermon today, I was looking over the outline this morning and realized one of the bullets is missing a fairly important word. So if you look down at the last section, section 3, the 3A bullet, it should read, We are not nobles, looking down on the peasants outside. As you can see, it kind of changes the whole meaning of that line. But more of that as we get to it. Our words of the proverb this morning are ones which are an exposition in many ways of the Eighth Commandment, that we should not bear false witness. The Eighth Commandment, like the Fifth Commandment, often is translated oversimplistically. The Fifth Commandment sometimes we might hear as being translated as, you shall not kill, which quite frankly is not what the text says. The Hebrew makes it clear that as you shall not murder. And there's a vast difference between the two. For while all murder is killing, not all killing is murder. Scripture clearly proclaims that there are instances that killing is justified, even ordered. The two probably most specific examples are governors are given the authority to execute and use the sword to curb evil, which is a allowance of capital punishment. And likewise, the soldier, when he is carrying out lawful orders, is indeed called for to kill the enemy. Likewise, this Eighth Commandment sometimes gets translated as, you shall not lie. Yet, the commandment doesn't say that. It says, you shall not bear false witness. It is a commandment about dealing with our neighbor and their reputation, about how we interact with those around us. And as we look at the proverb, we see some interesting sayings here, some aspects of it that might, go, might be a little un, uh, that might be a little surprising as we go through it. At its heart, there is a difference between lying and bearing false witness. And, and I'll put forth that it is indeed a very general rule that in most, pretty much all cases. One should not lie. One should bear the truth in all things. And yet, we have two instances, one that I've listed here in the Old Testament, which are intriguing, because not only do we find people lying, they are lying specifically to their governors, to, their, to those in authority over them. And when the Lord deals with them, it is not in a rebuke, but is commending them and blessing them for those lies. The two instances, one that is specifically here, is with the Hebrew midwives. I'm sure you remember the account of Moses at his birth as Pharaoh, afraid of the Hebrews who are growing numerous, more and more numerous, put forth the rule that every midwife, when they saw a male child be born, was to execute them, to snuff out their life, and then tell the mother, I'm sorry, this child was born still. The Hebrew women, the Hebrew midwives, fearing God rightly so, would not do it. When asked by the Pharaoh why were these male childs being born, they simply said, well, they give birth before we get there. The Lord commended them for preserving the youth, and indeed, 
bless them with their own children. Now again, we are not to take exceptions and make them the rules, and I only bring this up to point out a reality about what this commandment is about. Because sometimes we can think, well, I'm telling the truth, so I'm in the right. Yet, the proverb writer does not put that. Look at verse 7 in our text. What your eye has seen, do not hastily bring into court. And elsewhere, scriptures proclaim, what we see our neighbor do, be as if it didn't happen. What all is this meaning, and what does that have to do with the Eighth Commandment? It's simply this. Just because you know something to be true doesn't mean that you shout it forth in the courts of public opinion. Doesn't mean that you tell your neighbor or your neighbor's neighbor or you share it with others. Why is that? What is it that specifically means about bearing witness? What is the role of witness and what are we doing here? The text tells us that when we see our neighbor doing something which is wrong, don't take them to court hastily, else they might put you to shame. There's a couple reasons, first of all. The first is one which puts forth, or one is the truth that you might not see what you thought you saw. The explanation to the Eighth Commandment, as Martin Luther puts it, and I'll admit I much prefer the older translation to the newer one, ends with the admonition that when we're dealing with our neighbor and their reputation, to put the best construction on everything. I was showing a video for Civil Air Patrol on a character development lesson. I'll try to keep this brief, but it was an interesting video pointing this out. It showed a man who went to a, it was about a man who sees that there's a sale for donuts, $5, or $1 for five donuts, whatever it is. So he buys the bag and he sits down at a park bench. He's reading his newspaper and someone sits down next to him and he hears him rustling, rustling of the bag. Looks up and the guy's taking a donut out of the bag and starts eating it. A little upset, so he takes one himself. Goes back to reading his newspaper and he hears the guy doing it again. No, he's really irritated. The guy's eating his donuts, he thinks. So he takes another donut. There's one left. Goes back to reading his newspaper and again, the stranger takes the last donut. Now he's thinking, he's had more than half. He looks at the guy with this really disgruntled look and gives an expression like, what gives? The guy splits the donut in half, gives him half, and then takes off. A couple minutes later, the first guy decides he needs to go. So he gets up, grabs his stuff, and lo and behold, under the rest of his newspaper, there's a bag of donuts. The guy wasn't eating his donuts, he was eating the others. Now it's kind of a nifty little story, fairly made up. But I think we might realize we often don't know the whole truth. We don't know what's going on. So scripture admonishes us to go and visit with the person and say, what's up? Why are you doing what you're doing? And so we argue the case with the neighbor. And then the scriptures go even farther and do not reveal another's secrets. You see, bearing witness is really a legal term. Do you have authority to discipline someone? Bearing witness is what we do as we're in the court of law. This whole text is about, indeed, accusing people of doing wrong. Do not put your for yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. 
The one who stands in the king's presence, who stands next to him, are his advisors, the ones who accuse others, the ones who are bringing forth, you could say, the advocates or the trial lawyers. We are not to put ourselves in that place unless, of course, that is your vocation. Now, when we are dealing with others, when we're dealing with the sins of others that we know, when we encounter them and see them doing that which is against God's word, we handle it in a way that the Lord handles it with us. Jesus, as he was speaking to Nicodemus, said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, that through me the world might be saved. If there is anyone who has a right to reveal our sins publicly, to proclaim them for the whole world to see, it is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As he told his disciples, as he told Peter, who pulled out the sword on that evening of our Lord's crucifixion, Do you not know that I could with one word call forth my Father, and he would send 10,000 legions of angels to save me? And he would have been right to do so, to call in the angels to utterly destroy us for the sins and rebellions which we have caused. But he didn't. He kept those sins to himself. He took them upon himself. He forgave and he forgot. How the all-knowing God can forget our sins, I have no idea. Yet that is what scripture tells us. We are not called to simply ignore sin and treat it as if it's no big deal. After all, scripture makes it very clear what sin is. Sin is death. Sin hurts. The commandments are not only a mirror which shows us our sins, but they're also a guide. If you're trying to get from here to Duluth, you look at a map and it shows you the best ways to take 35 straight up, although probably not next summer. It shows you the route that is the way that keeps you on the path. You could decide, well, what is that? No, what does the map? No, I'll just go the straight path. You might have a vehicle that can get you some, far, some parts, maybe get you through some mud, but I can guarantee you when that lake's in the way, if you try going straight forward, not only will you not arrive at your destination, you might find yourself looking for water as you're drowning at the bottom of that sea. That's what sin does to us. It hinders us. It hurts us. And if we remain steadfast in it, it can ultimately kill us. So we don't ignore it, we don't leave it to the side, but the question is, how are we to deal with it when we see it in other people? And the answer is this, again, like our Lord did, to heal and restore out of love and mercy, not out of power and judgment. In the text, we see these words, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. We go and share with those who are sinning what God's word says. Do you not know what the scriptures say? And for the one in whom the Spirit dwells, that word will be a fitting rebuke. Oh, trust me, I know myself personally, I'm not one who likes to be told I'm in the wrong. It's tough. We don't like to be told that we are inferior. We do not like to be reproved and pushed down from the place of honor to the lowest place. 
And yet the Spirit of God in our hearts awakens in us our conscience and quickens in us faith, which will heed that word of God, which heeds that law in the proper, in the proper place, so that we recognize where we are fallen. When our brother or sister comes to us in Christ to proclaim the word of God to us, it is for, when it is properly done, it is for the healing and restoration of the one who has fallen. Now, as we share with this, it's good to remember why we do that. And at the end of the day, the answer is because it is out of love towards neighbor. Our Lord loves us, and so we love others. He specifically said, as I have loved you, so love others. This is the new command he gave to his disciples on that last night. When you are dealing with others, the question you should always ask, what is the loving thing to do? Sometimes, and most times, it should be going to them to confront their sins. Yet at the end of the day, there are also those times where we do turn it over to the courts. The text doesn't say never do that. Just don't be hasty. Don't have that as the, as the option of first recourse. To instantly think the worst of your neighbor, to instantly think that they must be brought to task and be shamed. And yet there are many times where that is exactly what we should do, especially if it involves that their sin is hurting others. If you see someone setting fire to your neighbor's house, you don't go over there and tell them, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. You call 911, you call the police, you call the fire department. If you see someone who is a danger to others, you turn them over to those who are placed in authority to judge them, to deal with those sins, to prosecute them according to the law of the land. But we are not anarchists. We are not vigilantes. We are God's people. And our first calling above all is to be a light to the world, to bring the word of God to those who are in need, to share the message of salvation. Because at the end of the day, we know who we are. We are not those nobles looking down on peasants outside. We are not the ones who, by virtue of the name of our Lord upon our foreheads, are in places of power and authority over the world. No, far from it. We are the peasants who are sinners. We are the ones who are in the same boat that everyone else is. And when someone stumbles and falls, the thought which is upon our minds is, but by the grace of God, there go I. But by the grace of God, I am in that same circumstance. And yet, we, who are poor, miserable sinners, we who have failed God in so many ways, in too many ways, today something amazing happens. We who have just confessed our sins and acknowledged that we have failed God in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone, our Lord says to you, come up. Come to my table. Come to a place of honor. And I give you blessings. I give you salvation. I give you the honor of partaking of my body and blood. I give you the honor of being my children. I give you the honor of being in my kingdom. And now, as we are in this place of honor, we have a privilege to call others forth to that same place, to call them to the table, to call them to our Lord, to call them to salvation. 
We are called up to a place of honor, not to lord it over others, but to serve, to share, to proclaim. May we indeed be the ones who bring a word fitly spoken. May our words be like the gold that shines forth in the dark of night, which glitters among all the dross, and which brings life and salvation. Amen. And we rise. In the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith together as we confess the words of the Nicene Creed on page 158.